Acts 13, we'll read verses 44 to 52. It gives us a narrative here that Luke provides for us, unfolds according to God's purpose of election. So we begin in verse 44. Acts 13, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles, for so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So there's a little bit in Acts 13. Let's turn over for our preaching passage, Romans chapter 8, verses 29 and 30. So Romans 8, verses 29 and 30 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Well, let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word, and now that we've heard it, we pray that you would prepare us to receive the same in its preaching. And Lord, that you would work through this word to give us all what we need, and that we might leave from this place all the more assured of your love and of our security in Christ, not by way of presumption, but by way of promise and in the way of true faith. So make it so, we pray, O oh God, and answer our prayer accordingly, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, originally this sermon was preached back in March for the first time, and it was in connection with a sermon series that we're still in on the Canons of Dort. And so that first main point of doctrine, Article 6, 7, and 8, was sort of in the background. We looked at the passage here in Romans 8, but we kept in mind our canons. And really, when we come to Article 6 in the Canons of Dort, that's the first time in that first main point of doctrine where the canons sort of flex their muscles when it comes to predestination. Because in Articles 1 through 5, in that first main point of doctrine, the canons emphasize man's sinful nature. They emphasize our subsequently deserved judgment 
and they emphasize the necessity of believing in Jesus Christ if a person is to be saved. And of course, all of those things are important. And here's why. Here's what they do. Those three things I mentioned, they set the proper context and they set the stage for a right understanding when it comes to predestination or election, which is where then in the sixth article in that first main point of doctrine, the things just take off very particularly in that regard. And here's why that's significant. It's because the Reformed doctrine of predestination isn't something that's in a vacuum in terms of its outline and understanding. But there's, there's a framework that needs to be understood when it comes to rightly receiving the doctrine of Scripture in predestination and election. And here's that framework. No one deserves salvation. You don't. And I certainly don't. If anyone is to be saved, then it has to come from a free gift that God graciously provides for undeserving sinners. And unless God acts first by way of election and predestination, marking out certain sinners for eternal life, then no one could be saved and no one would be saved. And so with that in mind, what a, what a glorious hope there is for everyone who trusts in the gospel promise. There's a sure hope. There's a blessed hope. There's a secure hope. There's an in Christ hope for you and for me and for anyone whom the Lord our God calls to his son Jesus Christ. As far as our passage goes here, Near the end of Romans 8, by the time Paul gets around to writing Romans chapter 8, he's, he's covered quite a bit of ground already, all the way from the very beginning of the epistle. And in this section of the letter, this section of Romans began all the way back in chapter 3, verse 21. And it goes from there all the way to the end of Romans chapter 8, with verse 39. And what an end to this long section, right? From chapter 3, verse 21 to chapter 8, verse 39 ends at the very end there in verse 39 said nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And do you know why that is? It's because of what we read in our two verses here 29 and 30 and the golden chain of salvation that is sketched out for us. That's why nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So let's keep all of that in mind as introductory. We'll keep the following theme and points so you can see it there. God's purpose in predestination secures eternal glory for his elect. God's purpose in predestination assure, secures eternal glory for his elect. So as, a, as things open up, let's, let's unfold that sermon theme by noting, first of all, from verse 29 that conformity to Christ is in view. So there's a, a few things I want to point out in verse 29, if you look at the passage with me. The word foreknew in verse 29, it has the sense of loved beforehand. And so it speaks of this intentionality and, and this purpose that God has in all things, having in all eternity past set his love upon his chosen children. 
And that purpose is unfolded in the phrase that follows, right? For those whom he foreknew, here it is, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And the high point of exactly what that entails is found in the next phrase, in order that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. So you can see how tightly packed things are for us there in verse 29. So as we go to unfold things a little further, let's go back to that word foreknew. And here's the key. And listen, this is very important. It's not just that God knew about his elect from before the foundation of the world, although, of course, he did. God knows all things. He knows about all things, and he knows all things. Not, not discursively, as if he has to investigate, but God knows about all things, and God knows all things intuitively, because he is omniscient. That's part of what it means for God to be the supreme being. He knows all things, and he knows about all people. But here in verse 29, Paul is saying something more particular than that. Because with the use of that word foreknew, he tells us that God has had a special love for all of his chosen children that extends all the way back into the recesses of eternity past. Like I said over in Ephesians chapter 1, he chose us in Christ from before the foundation of the world. I've said it before, maybe not here, but I've said it before, so I'll say it again. And listen, if you have the testimony in your heart that God loves you in Christ, then you can be assured that God will never stop loving you in Christ because God never started loving you in Christ. But he has always loved you in Christ from before the foundation of the world, having chosen those who believe by God's grace come to faith in Christ for salvation. And so we see that little wrinkle in all of this in that word foreknew. And that's why it says in verse 39 that nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So congregation, let me tell you this morning, that to hear that report, to rejoice in that the freeness as well as the fullness of God's love for you in Christ. Hear the testimony of what his word says about that fact for you and be comforted. Have any doubts erased? Have any fears quieted? And have any anxieties that you might have about the uncertainty set at ease. Because here's what God spoke through his prophet. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Receive that as a God-given witness and promise to you that has been signed, sealed, and delivered by the blood and spirit of Jesus Christ through that gift of true faith as God has brought you to the awareness and the recognition of your salvation in his beloved son. And then go. Go in that confidence as the week opens up. Walk in that freedom of God's mercy 
Serve God with gladness as you look to be a blessing to your neighbors and to those in your family and in your community. Press on in the Christian life as you, uh, as you are led in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And ask God for the grace that you need to be salt and light in this world. To have an influence and to make an impact for the name of Jesus Christ, your Lord. Because God's love and his statement to us about his love, that's no empty thing, is it? Of course not. Rather, and, and quite to the contrary, I'll say it like this, it's pointedly and profoundly purposeful. And God's love for us in Christ has conformity into the image of Christ as our destiny, right? That's what he says here. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And guess what? Nothing can stop that from happening. Nothing can prevent what God has purposed. Nothing can overturn what God has established. Nothing can thwart it. Nothing can ever undo God's decree. It will happen. To us, for us, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So listen. If the goal that God has determined for your life is going to end at a full conformity to Christ that will set the stage for eternity in the new heavens and the new earth, if that's the outcome that God has said is so for you as a believer in Christ, according to his purpose of election, well then start to live like that right now. Fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Seek God in prayer each day for reminders of his promise that you might have that perspective. Pursue a life of, of godliness, of Christ-likeness, of, of sanctification, a life of service, a life of devotion, a life of praise that is all preparatory for eternity. Read your Bible and hear again what God has to say. Keep in step with the Spirit as you live by His power and walk in that newness of life. And remember God's patience with you. That when you stumble and fall into sin, He's not going to take you like a piece of paper and crumple you up and throw you into the garbage can. He's going to remain faithful to you. He's going to admonish. He's going to correct. But He's going to sanctify and fulfill His purpose, this purpose, for your life. And remember this. It's Christ who has and who always will have ultimate, supreme preeminence in, over, and through all things. Just like it tells us at the end of verse 29. In order that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. So let me say it like this. As a believer in Christ, our place in God's family is in light of Christ's place as God's firstborn. And because Jesus is so richly deserving of that place of preeminence, because he's the star of the whole show, therefore he gives us 
who belong to him. He gives us a full measure, a full share, and a full portion of the inheritance that his father has given him. So look to Jesus as your faithful Savior, and every promise of God is yes and amen to you for his sake. Hear about him even now with a believing heart. Trust in him to bring you into the good graces and free acceptance of God the Father, and then rest upon Jesus as that firm foundation under your feet as you receive salvation full and free from his hand. Everything you need and everything you could ever want provided by the good shepherd who's one of his sheep and to the whole company. As we continue, let's unfold that theme still by noting that the goal of future glory is guaranteed, right? And if you look at verse 30 for a minute here, notice the words, those. It was in verse 29 too, so it's sort of the correlation and carryover that way between these two verses. But in verse 30, that word, those, has this repetition, doesn't it? It, it? it creates the golden chain here, the word those does. It links all of these things together to put this sermon title as the golden chain of salvation for us. And notice as well, each one of the verbs in verse 30 are in the past tense as they're translated for us. And so the details are, are as follows. And listen. The foreknew of verse 29 and the predestination to the image of Christ there, that's all fulfilled here in verse 30 as God's plan unfolds, having been established in eternity, being worked out then in history, preparing those to receive these blessings for the endless ages of eternity. So look at the passage in verse 30. One striking feature, as I mentioned in verse 30, is the repetition of that word, those. And it's striking because of this. That word, those, in verse 30, it provides us with the cadence that shows us the amazing substance of what God has planned for us in Christ. Just think. Everyone who comes to Jesus Christ with a believing heart is given salvation, and they make that move, so to speak, because first of all, God has purposed and planned in all eternity past that they would be specially chosen by Him. That's what drives the whole thing. It's not that God looks through the corridors of time, sees who would believe, and on that basis chooses them. No, apart from God's grace of election, no one would ever believe, no one would ever desire. It's God who makes us willing and ready to see in Jesus Christ a faithful Savior. But when a person believes in Jesus according to that eternal plan and purpose of God, here's what happens. Not just salvation and all of those blessings which are wonderful, but we come to see that God has made us part of something much, much bigger than ourselves much, much bigger even than the whole lot of us together in this room. God has made us part of this worldwide church that he, as our catechism says, from the beginning of the world to the end thereof, Jesus Christ, by his word and spirit, in the unity of true faith, is gathering, defending, and preserving to himself a church chosen for everlasting life. 
And do you remember what it says there in Lord's Day 21, question 54? It personalizes it. And that I am and forever shall remain a living member thereof. So here's what that means. You, as a believer, me, as a believer, Christians from the past, Christians who are yet to be in the future, Christians all around the world, all throughout history, all have that same foundation of God's grace in election. And that means that no one who was marked out for salvation by way of election can be left behind, will be left behind, or will somehow have their name forgotten on the guest list. Now maybe a time out for just a minute. It's true that some people will be lost. It's true that some people will remain unrepentant. It's true that some people will remain unbelieving. It's true that some people will wind up in hell under God's condemnation cast out of his presence of blessing forever, only knowing the presence of his curse and wrath. That's all true. But none of that will happen because of any insufficiency in God's decree of predestination, will it? No, and not by a long shot either. All of the sheep will be gathered in. It's the goats who will be on the outside. All of the wheat will be harvested. Psalm 1. It's the chaff that the wind will drive away in judgment. All of God's chosen children will be brought in and come to the recognition and awareness in their heart that they are members of his family. It's the reprobates who wind up in outer darkness that God leaves by his own justice to the demise of their own sin. And in the end, that's what every single one of us deserves. I've told the catechism kids in Sanborn two things over the years. Everyone will receive one of two things from God. You'll either receive justice or you'll receive mercy. Nothing else. There's no other options. For those who receive justice, it's condemnation because of the punishment that's deserved. But for those who receive mercy, it's grace, it's forgiveness, it's life. It's a sure hope in Jesus Christ. Our Canons of Dort in Article 7 highlighted that very point and it appealed to Romans 8, verse 30 to establish and support that. So the foundation of everything that we stand upon, congregation, is grace. Free grace, unmerited grace, undeserved grace, grace that's greater than all of our sins. No wonder it tells us in 1 Corinthians 1, let him who boasts Make his boast in the Lord. After all, the key to what God has purposed for us in Christ is, is done, isn't it? It's, it's as good as finished. In fact, if you look at verse 30, it's so certain to happen and to be fulfilled that it's as though it's already been accomplished or carried out. And you know why that is? It's because in Christ it has happened already. 
Jesus lived, died, and was raised again, and he has entered into the fullness of resurrected life that belongs to the age to come. He possesses that now. And Jesus, boys and girls, young people, all of us adults, listen to this. Jesus is the personal embodiment of God's purpose and plan of election. And that means that everyone who believes in and belongs to Jesus will have his status and his accomplishments as their victory. That's profound. God will love us and give us as much as he loves and has given to Jesus. So gospel preaching doesn't announce plan B, as if when our first parents rebelled in the Garden of Eden, God had to figure out what's my next move now that things have been derailed. It's not that Adam and Eve threw a wrench into God's plan, and now he's sort of scrambling to put the pieces back together. It was always God's plan and purpose, determined in eternity past, to crown his chosen children in Jesus Christ. Because the sons of Adam, though tragically fallen in their first father, will be redeemed in the only begotten son. What the first Adam wrecked, the last Adam fixed. And what God planned is now unfolding in history as the ministry of the gospel goes out and people come to repentance and faith in Christ. So let me pause for a minute and we'll begin to wind things down like this. Have you been called to faith in Jesus Christ? It's the very first thing mentioned here, right? Those whom he predestined, he also called. Do you have a sense, a, a real awareness and conviction that God has called you to belong to Jesus Christ and that he is your faithful Savior? If you do, well, then that means you've been justified in the sight of God. And none of your sins can ever come up against you because it tells us here, those whom he called, he also justified. And if you've been called and justified and, for our, and are forever right in the sight of God for the sake of Christ alone, well, then the next thing on the list here is that those who are justified are the ones he also glorified. So God's choice of you in Christ, that act of predestination, that's the safe and sure comfort that God wants you to have now, tomorrow, 20 years from now, all throughout the ages of eternity still. Because called here in verse 30 refers to that effectual call, the Spirit opening up a person's heart and calling them in true faith to belong to Jesus. Justification here means your sins are forgiven and you are righteous before God because of Christ. So if that's happened, which it has to every believer, then how can future glory somehow fail to come to pass? congregation, look at verse 30 and see your destiny. Not by way of presumption, but by way of promise, by way of grace, by way of true faith, by way of Christ, in whom all these things are yours. Hear that. Know that. Believe that. And go as many days as God gives you and live in light of that. 
so that when the last day of your earthly, earthly life arrives, you might die in the comfort of belonging to Christ as well. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Bring it to us in conviction, in assurance, in faith, and by the working of the Spirit, that these blessings in Christ might give you praise and might give us assurance. All for Jesus' sake.